0: So last week, last week we were looking at the, um, the, the, what were we looking at? The parable of Luke 15. And um, this parable contains three stories. You know, the story of the lost sheep, um, the lost coin, and the story of the prodigal son. And, you know, commonly a parable is a description of an earthly meaning, uh, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And A parable is a story that uses familiar things such as shepherd and sheep to introduce an unfamiliar way of thinking and to introduce a different perspective. And so the parables of Jesus are this invitation into a kingdom worldview, how to see as the Father sees is really what Jesus is doing with these parables. And so Jesus used parables to, to shift misconceived concepts, uh, misunderstandings, misperceptions misperce- or, or wrong ideas about God and the way of the kingdom to, to a healthy way of seeing the Father, to a healthy way to see who he was, to, to, to understand what the kingdom is all about, to understand who we are and to um, have a great perspective on how we see others. And then, you know, when Jesus was asked by his disciples in Matthew 13 why he spoke in parables... Um, that were hard to understand, Jesus re- replied that, these, that he spoke in parables so that those who had receptive hearts would be graced with the gift of understanding. The gift of understanding. As they heard the stories, understanding would flow. And so this gift is only active in someone's life when they desire to learn, when they desire to discover more about God, Jesus, and the kingdom. It's all about a position of our heart. And then the Apostle Paul added that language that it's by the Holy Spirit, you know, that he is the one that brings us understanding. And uh, he's been gifted to us. Isn't that good? For revelation. He, it says of the Holy Spirit that he is our, our great teacher. What an amazing gift. And it's alive, isn't it? Because the Holy Spirit's a person. You know, we just haven't got some intangible or some sort of mechanical thing, we actually gifted and graced with the person of the Holy Spirit. It's such a great thought. And because the parables Jesus spoke were to a particular culture, um, last week I mainly made comments around some of the culturally challenging things that Jesus was saying in the stories. And the invitation that I left you with was, what was the Holy Spirit speaking to you? What was the Holy Spirit speaking to you as we sort of went through Luke 15? And for me, what really stood out was the later part of the prodigal son story. It really stood out for me. In Luke 15, we read the story of um, a man with two sons. And the the youngest son asked for his inheritance, basically calling his dad dead. and, And then... Runs off and he wastes all that he was given. And to make a short story even shorter, this the son returns, albeit with with the intention of trying to earn his father's forgiveness and to, to work to earn enough money to buy back what was lost. And really, this is the definition of what religion is. It's the definition of religion, what's happening here. Religion is where we, we try to bridge. The perceived gap between us and god the perceived gap between us and god who knows that's our perception that's the way we see but it's not like that's not like that from his perspective religion's the opposite of grace where we have to earn we have to meet a series of obligations or rituals or clothing you know food that's why i don't wear robes you know or food groups we get to eat bacon which is flipping awesome You know, and behaviors to be considered right with God. Isn't it good that we're not under those things? You know? Joe, where's your hat? (laughs) In the story of the prodigal son, the son was doing just that. He was working or trying to fix what was broken. The problem was the son didn't have a very good understanding of his father. He didn't understand the character and the nature of his father, even after the father had entrusted him with everything that he asked for. No strings attached. Give me my inheritance. Here you go. The father entrusted him with everything he had asked for. So the son wastes all this money, and then he returns to his old home, and the father comes running, publicly shaming himself. The father shames himself to embrace and kiss his son, calling for the best robe to be put on him, you know, and for a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And we, we kind of looked at the significance of these last week. You know, the robe... Oh, okay, we're up to date. The robe... The robe represents the status of the father being put upon the son. As the father is, so is the son. That's what it means. And the ring represents the father's authority. With that ring on his finger, when he went to the marketplace, he spoke on behalf of his father. He could he could he could be engaged in business deals. When he spoke, it was the voice of his father. He 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 could speak with the authority of his dad. And the sandals were a sign of freedom because. Only free men wore them, but it's also a sign of family. It's also a sign of family because in those days, in their culture, you know, if a guest came to your house, they would take off their sandals and you would wash their feet and they would walk into your home in bare feet. But here he's putting sandals on his son and welcoming into the home, why? Because only the family were allowed to wear shoes in the house. If a parable is designed to invite us into a story. If a parable isn't designed to invite us into a story, what would it be like to be the younger son? What would it have been like to be him? Demanding an inheritance, taking what was yours, disowning your father, and then go and recklessly spend, waste all that you had on yourself, only to be left with nothing, absolutely nothing. And then in that pit of despair, in desperation, you attempt to fix what was broken, to, to earn your father's forgiveness, to, to buy back what you wasted. But then you discover that the Father already has a heart fixed on your restoration. Before you can even try and get your plan into action, you know, you're embraced and you're kissed and you're restored, and it all happens publicly. A series of things happened towards you that didn't match your behavior, didn't match your conduct, didn't match what you did where you should have been punished, where you should have been excommunicated. And likely in that culture, if you turned home, the villagers will probably kill you. Your community that you grew up in would probably kill you. The actions of the father, the actions of the father were to embrace, to restore, to bring wholeness of connection, to to restore value, to to restore purpose, to restore identity, relationship, and position in the family. Have you noticed that the father doesn't even bring up the loss of money? What does the father say? Instead, he says, My son who was dead is now alive. Let's have a party. What does that tell you something about where the Father's placing his value and his worth? Where the Father is placing his value and worth. To restore means to make things right again, to put right. And this is exactly what Jesus has made available for us. That's the good news, eh? an invitation into restoration to be put right. The father gives the son sandals, reminding him that he was family, right? Remember the sandals represent a position of family. But here's the thing, by giving the son the robe and the ring, the father re-entrusts the son with his name. By giving the son the ring and the rope, he has reentrusted. He has reentrusted his son with his name. The son hasn't done anything to deserve it yet. <laughs> if anything, it's the complete opposite. How amazing is that? We briefly last uh, looked last week that in the middle of God's love. In the middle of God's mercy, in the middle of God's compassion, there's always challenge. Amen? And Jesus left us with a great challenge. At the very end of Matthew, at the very end of Matthew is written the words of Jesus. And these are often called the Great Commission. And this is the Passion Translation version. And he says, and this is Jesus talking, All the authority of the universe has been given to me. Doesn't leave much out. All the authority of the universe has been given to me. Now go in my authority and make disciples of all nations. I like some other translations and they say, it says this, I have been commissioned to commission you. I really like that translation. Jesus says, I have been commissioned from the Father to commission you. Go in my authority, in my name, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teach them to faithfully follow all that I've commanded you. And never forget that I'm with you until the completion of this age. You know, our restoration through Jesus not only brings us into family, but the Father has also entrusted us with His name. We've been entrusted with the family name. Which means, and again, in the words of Jesus, to be about the Father's business. You remember that story where He disappeared, they couldn't find Him, and they found Him, and He was 12. And they found Him in the temple, and He's just like, oh, come on should not be about my father's business. And our father is in the business of restoration. Our father is in the the business of making things right. And we have been invited to be part of this family business. We have a, a function and a role in the process of making things right. It's really interesting. Scripture uses a whole bunch of things to describe the roles that we have in Christ. You know, so, like, it says that we're ambassadors, which means we represent another realm, which means we represent another culture. You know, as an ambassador in a foreign land, who knows, the ambassador in the foreign land functions as if they were in their own homeland, culturally. Everywhere they step, it's home soil. What does that mean about us? Another thing that Scripture says is that we're peacemakers, we're called to be peacemakers. Right, who's got some other things that scripture tells us is our function on the world? Just shout it out. Priests, Priests and kings. Awesome, that's a good one. Witnesses. Light. Come on. Sorry. Salt. Salt and Light gotta start picking someone in a minute body body of christ one body it's awesome sorry bride of christ yep sorry eyes eyes, eyes. cool there's a lot eh? each one is like Gazillion hour message. <laughs> I'm getting ideas for next week. No. <laughs> Actually, what's really cool is mouse preaching next week. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Committed now. <laughs> Peacemaker is one of the ones that I think is really fascinating. You know, there's a whole bunch of cool ones. But Peacemaker... You know, it's found in Matthew 5, 9, also known as, you know, a whole list of beatitudes. And um, it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the uh, sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, because they shall be called the sons of God. And I think being a peacemaker is not about being passive, but I think being a peacemaker is actually, uh, in fact, a very action-orientated job, role, function, It's not passive at all. It's very action orientated. You know, imagine imagine living with such conviction and conduct that someone said to you, you're a son of God just by something that you did. Because it says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. What if someone said, wow, you must, you're a child of God just by the way you conducted yourself on the earth. Uh, 1 Peter three eight says, Now this is the goal, to live in harmony with one another and demonstrate affectionately love, sympathy, and kindness towards other believers. Let humility describe who you are. Wow. <laughs> Let humility describe who you are as you dearly love one another. Never retaliate when someone treats you wrongly nor insult those who insult you, but instead respond by speaking a blessing over them because a blessing is what God promised to give you. I'm still working this one out because every time I say to Lara, like, calm down and count to 10, it doesn't have the result that I want. (laughs) yeah. Uh, it is dangerous, but I kind of I do it out of fun now, and I don't think, yeah, I'm a work in progress, so that's okay. <laughs> you know, one of my favorite um, Psalms, um, no, it's Proverbs, Proverbs 11.11, 11 uh, I love that proverb, you know, it says, um, a city is exalted when the righteous extend their blessing. Like, wow, a city is exalted, a city is transformed, a city, a city is impacted and influenced when those that are right standing with God release blessing. Wow, that's a pretty cool role that we have on the earth, amen? Who else feels incredibly challenged? You know, it's... it's It's one thing to know that through Christ we've been restored, and are are his sons and his daughters, but then we're now required to live in a way that reflects that. (laughs) Because we love the idea of being restored, we love the idea of being made whole, we love the idea of being a child of God, but then there's actually this huge responsibility that we are meant to live in a way that reflects who we really are. because we've actually become something in Christ. It says in him that we are a new creation, never seen before. What does, I mean, what does that even mean? But we've, we've become something in Christ, amen? And it's a big challenge to think that we're actually meant to live that reflects this truth, that reflects this reality. We've become something in Christ. You have become something in Christ. And it seems pretty hard. Seems kind of nice not to think that we actually have a role on the earth to be an ambassador and a peacemaker and all those crazy things that you guys shouted out before. Those are things that we're meant to be. But we've also been given everything that we need to become that. Who knows that? So we are a being in Christ, but we're also becoming that being in Christ. Amen? And we have been given absolutely everything we need to become what God has called us to be in him. Who, who's found watching like your little babies, helpless babies grow up to be teenagers is like this amazing experience, right? You know? And there's probably some of you with are teenagers that are still like calling them helpless. But you know, it's it's this amazing journey you learn so much well i found that i learned so much about the father heart of god when my daughter was born watching her grow you know and so babies come into this world and (laughs) see no (laughs) see we are called risk takers right taking a risk to, to qualify this, I normally ask her first, but because she was in Japan, I had no way of contacting her. I just did it, you know. <laughs> so don't tell her that I did this, please. So inside their little bodies, right, and this is actually just hours after she was born. It's pretty cool. Look at that. She's praying already. She's, she's interceding for her parents, <laughs> saying, Father, help them. They do not know what they're doing. I'm pretty sure that's what was happening. Because that's how we felt. So inside this little body is everything that she's going to need to become a fully functional person. But there's this this process of discovery for her. She's going to go on this journey, right, of of discovery and things such as becoming self-aware. All of a sudden, she was re- realized. Wow, I'm alive. Who still thinks like that? That's the weirdest thing, eh? Have you ever been alone with your thoughts and think, shoot, I'm alive. Wow, that is really weird. And then you end up in a place in your head you don't want to go. (laughs) The way you guys are looking at me, I think I could be the only one that does this. Wow. (laughs) I think I need another drink. then. (laughs) You know, self-awareness, um, learning to hold a head up, you know, um, spatial awareness. I think, I, I can't remember, I remember hearing stats like when they're really long, they can only see so far, or they're only aware of something so close, and I don't know, I didn't research it, but I remember something about that, you know, and our strength, muscle control is all learnt by practice and doing, right? It's practice and doing. When you watch a baby, they just... They just start doing. And so when our daughter Jess was a baby, we spent so many hours just watching her. So many hours just watching her. Like, even when she was a newborn and she did nothing but eat and poop, it was just really exciting. It was really exciting to be part of this process. Eat and poop, yes. Now there came a point in time when the poop wasn't so exciting. You know, but... um, But in the early days, it was exciting. Wow. You know, everything was just exciting. And I couldn't wait till she could crawl. I couldn't, you know, I was excited, Oh, she's going to be crawling, you know, it was still almost a year, well, what, six, seven months later? I can't remember now. You know, and I couldn't wait till she could start walking. You know, and when she started, um, when she started walking, it was like, wow, I wish she was still crawling because she started running. And I remember really clearly when Jess was learning to roll over, just from her back to her front, she tried so hard for so long to be able to do this. And I would show you a video, but it's all on old school tape. (laughs) And I think I lost the digital version. I just remember she struggled so much to do this roll from her back to her front. And Lara and I would just be around her and cheering her on, you can do this, just start to do it, and then oof, straight back down again, you know? So close. You know, she was always designed to be able to do it from the very beginning, to roll over. She had the capacity. She just, she just needed to learn to be aware of what she was capable of and, and the knowledge to apply what she already had you know, Jess, Jess had arms, and she still got them, but her arms, her arms were getting in the way when she did this roll. And then one day, we were there when it happened, one day, all of a sudden, it dawned on her, hey, this arm needs to be in a different place. And she put it in a different place, and poof, she rolled over. From then on, she could roll over as many times as she want. You know, and they often do, don't they? They start rolling along, and if you've got a high couch, it becomes a problem because they end up under it. <laughs> and that actually happened in our place more than once. Um, once she figured it out, rolling became easy, but she had everything that she needed to be able to do what she needed to do. And then came this time where she, um, again, don't tell her, that G- just needed to learn how to ride a bike without training wheels. And as you can see in that picture, she's got some training wheels on. But by this stage in her development, she's already, you know, she already has a lot of muscle control. You know, balance, depth, perception. But what she needed was confidence. When she was just a baby learning to roll over, she, never, she, she was never discouraged. You know, she, she didn't need encouragement. She was already determined. She, she needed to learn something different in that moment. But now she needed to learn something new, which was, which was um, courage, which was confidence. And because I was the one mainly teaching her to write at the time, she had to trust in my belief that she could do it. Who knows that in that moment, she had to learn to trust what someone else believed in her. She had to trust when I told her that she could do it. She had to believe when she didn't think she could do it, that I knew it was possible and she would be able to do it. And because of that, you know, she mastered that. And we had to go out and buy her a bigger and better bike. Now, this is... (laughs) The the fact that I had to buy her a bike was purely accidentally um, related to this incident. (laughs) Shortly after this, I had to buy her a new bike. (laughs) Yeah. I discovered that these bikes don't work well with adults, um, see, so no training wheels, but a very flat tire. And um, what you can't see there, there was like skateboard ramps and stuff. And um, the bike was really good on them. Well, the first one. <laughs> and halfway up the first one. <laughs> but she, she scored that out of it, so she was pretty happy. And the thing is, now she's progressed, and she's into this. <laughs> She's the one on the back, if you're not sure. And she absolutely loved that. That's a neat progression. So one of the things that we've been given in Christ is family, amen? We've been given community. We've been given each other. And we need each other to grow. Just like Jess needed someone in that moment to believe in her, she was learning something new. She had the capacity. She had the ability She needed someone to encourage her that she could do it. And she did it. There's a a process in our growth where we become the being that we are in Christ. We've become something in Christ and we're we're becoming it at the same time. And it's done purely through relationship. Who knows that? It's all done through relationship. Even in the... um, the story of the prodigal son, all the relationship, all his, all his, I'll start again. Even in the story of the prodigal son, all his restoration was directly connected to his father. All of it was connected. It was the father's status, it was the father's authority, it was the father's family that he was brought into. And it's in that story we also see community because the, the community gathered to celebrate with, with the, the father that the son had come back. You know, that community had to make a choice. Were they going to kill this guy or were they going to see him through the eyes of the father? And we can tell from the story because they were all part of the party that they decided to respond to the honor and the favor and the grace and the mercy that the father bestowed on his broken son. You know, we are in Christ restored. We're in Christ made whole. And then we get to live out of that truth as we do life with God and we do life with each other. And there's a process. And there's challenge in that process where we have to be intentional about the way that we live. To borrow um, from Broxy, Broxy Carvey, this type of life is summed up in, in four R's. And it, these four R's pull from our original design in Genesis one that we're made in the image of God. That that looks like that we're people who reproduce, that we're people who rule, that we're people that reveal, and we're people that relate. Reproduce because we're created to be co heirs with Christ. Who knows that? which means that we, we create more image bearers of God. Now, there's a couple of ways you can do that. i just mention we create disciples. Our job is to create disciples. As we are discipled, we disciple others. Amen? Rule, we've got a significant position of influence in creation. Who knows that? This is all pulling from Genesis 1. We've got a role in creation, Amen? And our restoration restores that role. That we are, we are people of influence in creation. We are called to be, um, and it doesn't mean that we rule with a rod of iron over creation. It means that we're actually stewards of creation. We're stewards of creation. And reveal means that God's, we reveal God's character to each other. You're made in His image. You look like your father. And as we're growing and as we're learning and as we're becoming what we're being in Christ and we start to look more like Christ, we reflect that and reveal that and encourage each other in that. As we live our lives from a place of love and care for each other, we're revealing to each other the character of God. As he is, so are we to be. As he is, so are we to be. Doing life with people is how we get closer to God. And relate, made by relationship for relationship. Genesis again. Let us make man in our image. We were we were conceived and we were created from relationship to be in relationship. And also, you know, God forms Adam and He says, Adam shouldn't be alone, and he makes Eve. We're a people of being being in Christ. And we're a people of becoming, becoming who we are in Christ. And right there is the challenge that we have on our lives. Today, let's think about that you've been given a robe. You've been given a robe. That means as the Father is, so are you. As the Father is, so are you. That's a big thought, eh? Because sometimes we're like, wow, my mess. No, as the Father is, so are you. Remember, you've already become something in Christ. You're just learning to become it. You've been given a ring. You've been been given authority to be... You've been given authority to be... I'm not going to say, I can't even say it once, let alone ten times. You have been given authority to be a catalyst on the earth where heaven kisses earth. You've been given sandals because you're family. You're not a guest in the house, you're family. You can walk in with your shoes and put them on the coffee table, it doesn't matter because you're family. You know, if, if you don't know Jesus today, then today's a really good day for you. Today is a great day for you because today is a day where you can have placed on you the robe of righteousness. Today's a day where you can have the ring of authority of the Father put on your finger. Today's the day where you can have sandals put on your feet, where you become part of the family and you can walk in the house with your shoes on. Just because, you know, and today's a good day because it's just a matter of saying yes to Jesus, that he's my Lord and my Savior. Today can be a day that, that begins your journey of discovering who you really are in Christ, your true identity, because it's only in Christ do we understand or do we discover what it really means to be human. Because we were created with intention. We were created with purpose. We were created in in a loving relationship, full relationship. Let's stand up. Eh? You know, um, <clears throat> What I want to do kind of as we wrap this up is I'm going to invite our ministry team to come up in a minute. And what they're going to do is they're going to line up here and then they're going to face you, okay? And then um, not just you, Janelle. Everyone else gets included. Um, And then I just want to declare a blessing over you, a a blessing over your journey. And I'm going to have the ministry team be part of that. And then as we've been doing recently, we've been calling out some of the words and knowledge and stuff that our prophecy, prophetic guys have been doing. We're going to call some of them out and then give you an opportunity to have ministry if you'd like. You know, if something I shared about who Jesus is for you really spoke to you and you'd like to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, come up to the ministry team a little bit later and just say to them, hey, that sounds like what I want to do, and they'll pray with you. I want to leave with this, sometimes I think when we hear a message that's familiar, and yes, concepts that I've shared today are familiar, if you've listened to anything I've shared over the last couple of years, you'll be like, hey, this is just a rehash. And that was really intentional. Here's the thing, familiarity can become the enemy of challenge or it becomes an invitation. Familiarity becomes the enemy of uh, the enemy of challenge, or it can become an invitation. See, an invitation to go deeper, to learn more about, uh, to learn more, to hear the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? You know, allowing that gift of understanding to flow up within you. To hear what the Father's greatest thoughts towards you are. That you would be like His Son Jesus. Now, I teach on this a lot because really you learn best when you teach and share, right? So on your journey of development and your journey of process, share what you learn with someone else. Because we don't want to just know stuff. We want to become who we are in Christ. Christ. And that there is the challenge and the invitation that I want woven through my life story when I share. So if the ministry team could come up, that'd be really cool. You can go both sides. Assume the position. <laughs> if you're not sure what the position is, look at the person next to you. If it looks strange, that's probably the position. Okay. Yeah. So we're just going to have the ministry team just reach out their hands. Father. We just thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you ran to us and embraced us in your own shame. And you embraced us and you kissed us and you loved on us. And you dressed us with a robe of righteousness. And you unashamedly entrusted us with your family name. And that you're calling us to be something in Christ. Thank you, Father, that you have a great thought towards every single person here. That they would look like Jesus. And that right now, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, every single person in this place has the capacity and the ability to step into and become Christ-like. And we thank you, Father, that you've given us a family where we can safely work that out. That we can make mess, that we can practice, that we can grow in our Christ-likeness. And so, Father, we bless every single person here on their journey. Every single person here on their journey. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.